no um, fanfare, no special lesson, no streamers, no review of history. History is just the record of things that went on in times gone by, and most of us were here for that. I think uh, what Brother Shane said in his prayer was plenty enough for me. Um, I was reading what Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, and one of the things he said in saying goodbye to them was, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And I, I feel I can also make that claim as a steward of God. I do... I do thank you for the 35 years. I thank you for putting up with me. I hope we've done some good. Uh, the announcements that have been made sound uh, really finalized, like well, Joyce and I are gone and you'll never see us again. And I, Well, we're not looking at it that way. I mean, we, we still may be back before we're out of town. If that doesn't offend you, you know, we're, <laughs> uh, we, we may do that. But this is just the official end to my work as a preacher. This, this closing of April, this, uh, this month, 35 years, I have a word of caution for you all. It goes really fast. We say that all the time. We say it to one another. Young people have the harder time trying to even fathom how fast it goes because they're on the other side of age. I remember what uh, my Bill Brown, brother Bill Brown, said to me in his hospital bed in Fontana at Kaiser at the age of 69, dying from cancer and soon to die. He said, he said, Rod, life really goes fast. And it does. It really goes fast. So carpe diem. Seize the day. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh." But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Reading this, I suppose you'd get the idea that to be spiritually minded, or to become a spiritually minded person, is a very important pursuit. That would be a correct conclusion. The problem is, there are all manner of ideas out there that I have collected, I have heard over my life on the earth about what it means to be spiritually minded. I mean, for some people it means that you write poetry or that you read poetry or that you have skills in art and music. To some it means you meditate, you do yoga, you drink kombucha. To some, it's you're a vegan. No, you're a vegetarian. You think about the otherworldly things all the time. That makes you kind of spiritually minded. actually heard a fella make that point. In other words, you think about life on other planets and the existence of aliens. That kind of makes you spiritual. You pursue philosophy and philosophical subjects. You shun worldly possessions. You choose to live a life of minimalism which has become somewhat of a fad in our country, probably right now, probably more out of necessity than, than choice. But as you know, and we could go on with this list, some of it's kind of funny, except it's actual and it's serious. 
But none of these things have anything to do with being spiritually minded. And then finally you get to, uh, to religion. And if someone's religious, well certainly that means that he is spiritually minded and that's what it's all about. Joyce and I were at a, a park yesterday, the one uh, next to San Antonio Hospital. I can't remember the name of that park. A lot of oak trees, baseball fields, that kind of thing. Across the street is Taco King. We picked up a burrito there. Some of the fellows here know about Taco King. And we went back to the park and we're sitting under one of the oaks. And uh, there's a stage area and a lot of benches are out. And just a little ways from us were about 20, 25 people. They were sitting there and we went around and sat at a distance but we could hear them speaking and it was one person at a time and then every once in a while there'd be an applause and I I was sitting with my back to them and Joyce was facing them I said do you you know what they're doing and she said well they're having a a Bible study but they're not using the Bible and so I started to listen and what it was one at a time people began to disclose what was going on in their life things that were going wrong, the problems that they were having. They might mention God, they might not, but that was immaterial. But it was some kind of religious group. And and that, I think, for them was being spiritual. And for most people, they would think of that as being spiritually minded. And yet, the fact is, according to our reading this morning, that we just engaged in, that has nothing to do with being spiritually minded. And in fact, nothing like it. Nothing's even similar to spiritual mindedness in the list that we've just reviewed. The Bible says, if you look back at our passage, the Bible says there is one thing that is absolutely essential in a part of being spiritually minded, and that is having a mind that is subject to the law of God. Did you read it? Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. That means the spiritual mind is. The carnal mind is not In fact, it even says more than that. It says the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Notice it doesn't say it doesn't want to be. That'd be bad enough. It says it can't be. That's interesting. The carnal mind can't be subject to the law of God. Which means to be humble, to be submissive, to be obedient. The carnal mind is so different, so opposed to the spiritually minded man... Uh, there's really no overlap. There's, there's, no, there's no connection. And to start with carnality and try to work toward being spiritual while staying carnal, it just will, will never work. That's what that passage says. So it's really interesting when you think about most people would, in defining for you spiritual mindedness, would say to be cautious about God's law and to submit to God's law and to emphasize obedience of God's law, well, that isn't spiritually minded. They'd actually make that argument. There are religious people that make that argument. That being spiritually minded to them is thinking more about other subjects, like love and and, and grace, and certainly those are important subjects in the Bible. But they're not divided like that in the Bible itself. And some are not set aside as saying, well, you think about these and this is spiritual mindedness and you think about these and, and that's, that's something else. So spiritual mindedness has nothing to do with art or music or philosophy or diet or, or yoga or aliens or outer space. Uh, it doesn't even have much to do with religion when you start to think about it. Here we are in Isaiah chapter 48, this past Wednesday night uh, verse 1 hear this O house of Jacob who are called by the name of Israel and have come forth from the wellspring of Judah who swear by the name of the Lord who make mention of God of Israel who lean on the God of Israel but not in truth and not in righteousness well they were certainly religious and they certainly had a form of religion in fact when Jesus seeks 
to expose carnal mindedness, the very thing he goes toward, mostly his target is religious people. It's not just talking about religion. It's not just being religious. It's not even having a knowledge of the Bible. Someone could know the Bible well. Someone could attend every assembly if they chose to do so, engage in singing songs, give of their money, partake of the Lord's Supper. All of those could be accomplished, but yet nothing happening in the mind. You see, spiritual mindedness means what's going on in the mind. So it's not an outward front. When I think about how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and their hypocrisy and how he called out their so-called religion and their forms of religion and how they fasted to be seen of men and prayed to be heard by men and gave alms again to be praised by men. These were all religious acts. They engaged in them faithfully, you might say, but what was in their mind was not what should have been. It was not the result of of a spiritual mind. So I want to talk to you about that just a little bit because there are some other things that attend being spiritually minded. Are you spiritually minded? It's supposed to be important to you. And why is it important to you? Because, as Paul wrote in Romans, the passage that we read, because carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. That's what we want, is it not? We want eternal life. We want peace in our lives with God. We do not just want to face death, and that's just the end of it, and that's the plight of being carnal. So we can say, in addition to being subject to the law of God, which is the core of the spiritual mind, there are other things that attend that. And one of them is, and I'd put this high on the list, and I have, and that is the recognition that we live in God's world. It is his world. He created it. He upholds all things with the word of his power. He owns it. And one day he's going to bring it all to an end. And that ought to change everything for us. We're living in a world, and I think this is becoming more apparent than it has ever been, at least in my lifetime, that there are a lot of groups of people There are a lot of segments of society that are claiming that the world belongs to them. And therefore, they're going to get their way, and you'd better listen to them, and you better agree with them, because if you disagree, or if you oppose them, then you're in trouble. This is our world. So you've got groups like the Black Lives Matter, and they can be pretty vigilant and they can be violent and they can be controlling and they can be condemning and they can be demanding or whether it's the liberals or the socialists they can act just like fascists and all of these groups whether it's the green deal or whatever segment of society it might be they're basically if you think about it the world belongs to us and we want to change it and we want to make it the way We think it should be. And if you don't listen to us, there are going to be consequences. We will protest you. We will dissect you. We will condemn you in the public forum. You will be canceled or whatever other words they choose to use. And if we ever get the power, we'll imprison you. This is our world. I'm not saying that's something new. I mean, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan said what? One of the temptations was all the kingdoms of the earth. Hey, wait a minute. You can't give something that doesn't belong to you. But they do belong to him. So we know about the world belonging to forces and sources and all of that. But that doesn't help you being spiritually minded. My concern, my warning is, unless you and I, because you've got all these competing combating forces claiming the world belongs to them don't get caught up in that it's easy to do 
we do need to remember that the world belongs in the hands of Satan as far as his power and influence. But ultimately, God owns the world. And he will end it when he chooses to end it. And that is necessary for me to become the spiritually minded man I need to be. In verse 13 of Isaiah 48, Indeed, my hand, God says, has laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand has stretched out the heavens, and when I call to them, they stand up together. I remind you, this is in the context where the Jews are very carnally oriented. And God's constantly charging at them to try to get them to see this and to make changes. And one of the ways he does this repeatedly is to remind them, this world's mine. I created it. I own it. And I'm going to end it. Let's remember that. Let's work in our lives to remember that we live in a world that God owns. It's easy to forget. I would associate that with the constant awareness that I'm in God's world and I'm in his presence. Maybe we don't need to make that a second point, but maybe we, we do. We say it is true, but how we live and what we do and how we act and what we say sometimes betrays that. In the prophets, it was stated that God knows the evil that you do and he never forgets. He can remember that. In fact, in Hosea, that's exactly what the prophet says to the people. They forget that God remembers all the evil they have done. What a difference it makes when you come to a sense of living in someone's presence and how that should affect your behavior and your thinking. The 139th Psalm, for instance, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it's too high. Yes, that's right, it is. But that doesn't make it untrue. Where, he says, can I flee from your presence, or where can I go from your spirit? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. We're told in the Old Testament that Enoch walked with God. We're told the same thing about Noah, that he walked with God. We're told in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what does Jehovah require of thee, but to do justly and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. So this awareness of being in God's presence, this consciousness, is part of being spiritually minded. It's part of what will get spiritual things into our minds because it leads us to think in spiritual ways. When you think about temptation and the context of temptation, when are you more tempted to do evil? When you're with evil companions or when you're with godly people? Well, that's an easy question to answer, isn't it? You've probably been in the presence of a a person you thought was very spiritually minded. And you admired them for that. And if you spend a number of hours in a day with them, you'll find if you thought about it, there wasn't a, a moment in time where you were tempted to do evil. Or even tempted to think evil. And now looking back on it, you're kind of, uh, it's interesting that that's true. I hadn't really thought about that. But when I'm with really godly people, I just don't think evil things. I don't do evil things. I, I just, uh, it just helps me. On the other hand, evil companions corrupt good behavior. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, Kevin and I were talking just uh, this past Sunday about about his boy and the the people he's been associating with. And he's gotten into 
boxing. And we were just saying that uh, he probably never would have been interested in boxing had it not been that he got together with this man and his son and they're good friends and the dad is encouraging him to be a boxer and all those it's just astounding what a person or a group of people and the influence they can have upon you by their encouragement of you and uh, their um, complimenting you and telling you what they like and you like to be associated with them it's really when you think about it it's very powerful it's a very powerful thing so if I'm aware that I'm in the presence of God all the time is that is that going to help me somebody once said that a thief looks around a spiritual minded person looks up that's the difference isn't it one looks to see whether or not he'd be caught. One knows he's in the presence of God. We have examples in the Old Testament. And one of the great ones is Joseph himself with Potiphar's wife. And there he is all alone with this woman. And she's on the attack. And, and he says, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? And I'm sure she's left in the lurch there wondering, what in the world is this kid talking about? I don't see any God around here. I don't see anybody's eyes here. Who, who would know what we're doing? But Joseph lived in the presence of God. He knew it was God's world. And it completely changed his behavior and gave him the strength that he needed. And that was the problem. There weren't many failures of David in his life. But there were some, a couple of colossal ones. And one of them, of course, was with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. And what he did regarding that couple. And they were despicable things. And the Bible simply says that nobody knew that the sin was hidden. And then it said, but it displeased God. How in the world do you forget that you're in God's world? Well, it just is easy to do. Unfortunately, it's just very easy to do and men do it all the time and for the most part, most men do not think of this world as belonging to God. And that's why all the stuff that's going on in the world and all the forces and groups that are seeking to mold this world into its own image. That's why it's all going on. Because most men do not see this as God's world. You cannot be spiritually minded without acknowledging that. There's just no way. We're back to art and music and kombucha and yoga. What is spiritual mindedness? It's what's in your mind. What's in your mind? So you're living in God's presence. Does it help you in any other way? I'll tell you where it helps me. I've already confessed in a general way what happens to me when I forget I'm in God's world and I'm in his presence. Because the same thing happens to you. So I don't need to belabor that. But you know how it helps me when I know I'm in the presence of God? I want to pray. That's what I want to do. I want to pray. I want to talk to God. When I'm in anybody's presence, I, I want to talk to them. I, I want to communicate with them. I, I want to have a relationship with them. I don't want to sit in a room with somebody. He's in that chair and I'm in this chair and we just have silence. We don't even think of being in the presence of someone without saying anything all day. I mean, I, you and I have heard stories about married couples in the same house. and They have an argument and they go to separate parts of the, of the house. And, and uh, we, we've heard of that kind of thing, but you can't do that your whole life. So, knowing that you're in the presence of God, you know that helps you to pray and to depend upon God. It also helps me with, and I think this is the part I think about most when I find myself kind of brought down by worry or stress, or frustration, that when... I am reminding myself I am in God's presence. It erases that. It moderates that. It, it really uh, addresses that. Peter said, count on God. Cast all your problems on him because he, he cares for you. Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 13, He has said, 
I'll never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men will do unto me. We have a song that we sing, be with me, Lord. I cannot live without you. Love the words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. And of course, they were engaged in many difficulties, much trouble, having a lot of problems. They weren't spiritually minded like they needed to be. In fact, Paul says in the early chapters of 1 Corinthians, you're carnal minded. You've got a mind just like people who aren't Christians. So in chapter 3 and verse 21, he writes, Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. I understand that, but I tell you, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of times where I'm not thinking in terms of the world is mine. I think the world belongs to them. The world is to these lost causes. The world is to all this, this confusion. But according to Paul, there is a sense you need to realize that the world is yours. And you know in what sense that's true? Because the world belongs to God. And if you belong to God, then the world is yours too. It's really a grand thought. And it's uh, as simple as it is to say, I think for most of us we have difficulty wrapping our heads around it. Just what does that mean that the world, the world is mine? Compare this statement in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 where Paul writes that he put all things under his feet. God has put all things under Jesus' feet and gave to him to be the head over all things. And then that little clause there to the church you understand what that what that's saying god put all things under jesus feet gave him to be head over all things to the church in other words the church benefits from this the church benefits from the rule of christ which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all So that song, this is my father's world, and then that line in that song, I rest me in the thought. This is my father's world, and it brings me rest. So I grew up, you know, hearing the preachers tell the the story, kind of got tired of the story about a fellow walking around his neighborhood with a big smile on his face and briskly and shoulders back, head up, and neighbor saying, uh, hey, Jim, uh, you, you acting like you own the world. And he says, no, but my father does. Okay, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that. But, you know, it is true. Maybe you don't own the world, but your father does. And to me, it seems to be the solution that God gives us to so many different things. Because yes, things get out of hand for us and troubles pummel us to the ground and the world goes crazy and all of that. And we, we feel doomed and we feel despair. And in all that, because of the, the distractions of the world, we forget God owns the world. He created it. And he's taken it back. And he's my father. So I've got a solution for you. I know a lot of my brethren go through depression for various reasons. I know what that's like. No human's immune to that, whether you're Christians or not. I know what it's like. But you can begin to change your perspective by one thing you put in your mind which is part of a spiritual mind all things are yours just as Paul wrote to the Corinthians a group of people who weren't that well off and who weren't that well behaved and who were full of troubles and sorrows Paul says I want you to remember that whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas 
or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. So I'm I'm frightened. All things are yours. I'm frustrated. I'm overwhelmed. All things are yours. You can see how the right kind of mind is going to help you. Not necessarily religious activity. Uh, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily singing a song or not necessarily taking the Lord's Supper. But what gets into your mind? That's what's going to help you. There have been so many stories written by POWs who were in their camps and they were captives and they talk about how their lives uh, were controlled, that there wasn't a moment in the day where they weren't having to be aware of what they were doing because they were observed and they were watched by their captives and, and how it was oppressive. And wow, you read those details and how men live under that kind of tight observation, it's, uh, it's tough is tough but think about it in a positive way think about it in the blessings from God there's not a hair on our head that's not numbered I mean think about that where can I go from your spirit if, if I if I make my way to the heavens you're there if I if I go to the deepest caverns on the earth you're there where can I? And you know, he wasn't complaining, by the way. <laughs> the psalmist wasn't complaining. He, he was rejoicing. He was proclaiming in what he was doing. That wherever I am, I take comfort in the fact that God knows where I am. He knows what's going on. He knows what I need. And that changes my life. And that's what it means to be spiritually minded. Romans chapter 8 verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. I would add one other thing to that. And that is you get these things moving in that direction. You're moving in that direction. We talk about how we need to be more conscious of being grateful to God and in prayer offering thanksgiving and we talk about those kinds of things but that's really rather difficult to do with any consistency unless you're building on what we've just been talking about this is God's world I am in his presence daily there's no place I can go where God is not there and I know pretty well when I've forgotten that when I start acting like I don't know that I'm in God's presence I mean, that's simple enough. It's easy enough to judge. When you're not acting like, when you're not saying the right things, when you're behaving poorly, you're forgetting that you're in the presence of God. And that is to be aware of his hand in my life and the blessings that he provides. <clears throat> like the... The man Joseph in the Old Testament, when he says to his brothers after that history of time where they had done him wrong and sold him into slavery, and you know the story. And then later when he's a leader in Egypt and they come before him and, and they're just about to learn that he is their brother. And he says to them, you know, the evil you did to me, you meant it for evil, but God meant it to me for good. What a statement that is. I think that's clearly what got Joseph through all of that. You remember being thrown in prison, falsely accused, and all those things, the bad things that happened to him. He never forgot that God was working in his life. And it's uh, like Paul wrote in Romans that um, uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Well, all means pretty much all. I mean... With one exclusion, I think you'd have to say your sin. Your sin doesn't work for your good. Because the wages of sin is death. But 
But the troubles or the problems or the difficulties, the challenges, all those things, God has a way of just working them out to your good when you have the kind of mind that is willing to submit to his will and just hang in there. God cares about you. Don't don't forget that. Psalms 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And I'd also add what I was talking about Wednesday for just a brief period of time, and that is the spiritually minded person comes to have, because of all this and how it comes together, connects together he has a deep respect for the word of god and he it doesn't matter to him that it comes in written form he's not one of those who says well if god wanted me to do this why why didn't he just speak to me directly if god wanted me to believe something why didn't he just tell me and the fact of the matter is he has he's told all men what he wants them to do i've had the privilege in my life to see some some aging men losing eyesight, uh, losing mobility, who had given their lives in service to God, and uh, and as they face the end of time on the earth, and they think about the years, they think about the sacrifices they've made. And I remember one older gentleman in in Kentucky that I came to know through Paul Earnhardt in fact, and uh, had been a preacher all of his life and a farmer and did other things uh, to make his way, but was always faithful, always loyal to God. And uh, he was sitting on the porch in a rocking chair and he could barely see to read anymore. He couldn't read, really couldn't read the Bible. Um, I think he was in his 90s and uh, he, he, he just had the Bible there and he was just holding it, just kind of feeling the scriptures. The, the, the book that was so much a friend of his, so much a companion to him all these years, all these decades of his life, he just couldn't put it down. It was the living word of God. It was something that had blessed him. It, it was a way that he had guided his life. It was a lamp. It was a, it was a light. It was a protector. It was a deliverer. It was his teacher. It brought him to Christ. And it's going to take him to God. How, how could you not feel that way about it? So it bothers me a little bit when I see you know young people and... They don't have that kind of relationship. I mean, not even close to it. I'm not expecting that they would have that kind of relationship. Don't, don't get me wrong. You, you, uh, you, you come to know a, a spiritually minded person, you might have some regrets. You say, well, I'm not as spiritually minded as that person. I sure wish I was as spiritually minded as she is or, or he is. And you're, you're 35 and, and they're 85. And I tell you, becoming spiritually minded is a process you don't just wish it upon yourself. You don't just say, okay, I'll, I'll do that. It takes time. And it takes work. And it takes patience. And you've got to be convinced that it's going to be worth it to put that kind of time and effort into it. And once you are, you set out on the journey. And the best you can do, and it's a good thing. Don't get me wrong when I say the best. But it's the best you can do. As you can say, I hope, my prayer is that I'm as spiritually minded when I become 85 as that person is. There's no fast course. There's no script notes or anything like that. You know, there's no shortcut to becoming spiritually minded. It's a process that men come to realize is so well worth it in his time and his energy I was saying Wednesday night just for a little period of time when I my relationship to the scriptures and uh, people ask me all the time how do I study uh, how do I approach the Bible they want some tips and I'm happy to oblige but um, I'm always cautious because I don't want people to get the idea that they're we live in a world that's you know two steps to easiness 
Can, can you cut it down to one? You know, can, can you make it easier than two steps? And that's the kind of world we live in. And I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that uh, coming to understand the Bible is a two-step process or whatever. It, it's, it's a long, drawn-out investment. When I say drawn-out, I mean it just takes time. And when I read what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 about meditate on these things and give yourself entirely to them. And how we have talked about the word meditation here means to, uh, to turn over again and again like uh, the multiple stomachs in a cow and how they'll ruminate, they'll chew and swallow and then digest and digest and it goes to the second stomach and it digests some more and, and so on. And that, that's how we're supposed to be reading and studying the Bible. We take our time we're patient with it. I've told you, I've told uh, some, uh, whether they believe me or not, they just want to think I'm trying to be lazy and justify myself. Uh, it's not the case. It's how I work uh, that I'll spend a, a, some time at a desk like every normal person and uh, I'll, I'll read and I'll take some notes. And however long time that is, I'll take twice as much time out in the yard pulling weeds or gardening or doing something that's mindless so I can use my mind for something else. And it's just something about that process that the ease of it, the, the, the occupying my body and letting my mind dwell on something. So I take what I've been reading and thinking about for, let's say, an hour and rather than getting tired and uh, losing sharpness, I get up and I go and I engage my body. And so it's not thinking about getting tired. You know, it's not inclined to get tired. It's doing things. It's out in the sun or whatever else. And my mind's now locked on to what I've just read and studied for, for an hour. And I'm, I'm telling you, I get most of the best meditation I have then. Not when I'm sitting at my desk. So there's many ways, many different ways to, uh, to apply yourself and to study. And I'm not suggesting you would work best that way, but I do. And it would do you well to, uh, to practice and to experiment a little bit and see how you work best. I have too many brethren telling me, oh, I, I had good intentions. It was real early in the morning or late at night and opened my Bible and I started reading and and I, I don't know, I got in about five minutes into it, and I'm going, <laughs> and I, I feel so guilty. I, I don't want that to happen. I, that's not really the attitude I have toward God's Word, but I, well, I say, well, you're picking the wrong time for yourself. You're tired. If you're tired, you're tired. Spirit's willing, flesh is weak. Flesh is going to work against you. So pick a better time. If you, if you really have a respect for God's word, you will. You will find what works best for you. And one size doesn't, doesn't fit all. But there are so many ways. And doesn't that help you in the awareness of I am in God's world. God knows what I'm doing. He knows what I'm thinking. I, I, for me, it's just a, it's just a, a, a wonderful thing. I'll close this by saying heaven's got to be a part of this. Set your affections on things that are above, not on things of the earth. Um, labor for the meat that perishes not, not for the meat that perishes. <clears throat> we have to set priorities if we're spiritually minded people. And we have to know where we're going and why it's worth it. You put all these things together that we've been talking about. It, it is, you're well on your way to putting the right things into your mind because what are you doing you're you're controlling your environment aren't you you're controlling who you're going to associate with and don't don't ever be so stupid to say I, it doesn't matter I'll, I'll i'll associate with people who are bad for me but it won't have any effect on me just <laughs> trust god how about doing that don't trust me trust god it will always have an effect you show me your friends i'll show you your future that's just that clear. So, so think about it. So people who have really bad friends and think their future is going to be different, it's, it's not, not going to happen. So 
as we go through this life, we recognize that we are sojourners on the earth, that we're just travelers, we're visitors here, and we're passing through. That this is God's world, but this isn't my home. So we live in a nation of many causes, whether it's the, the Green Deal, the Green Peace, save the whales, save the owls, the forest, or whatever it may be. And people work and they sacrifice and they donate their time because uh, they, they want to spend their lives this way. We forget that as Christians, we are people of cause as well. Just as they are. The world cries out and they say, save the planet. And we listen to God. And we say, save your soul. And in case you haven't read it recently, you don't remember it. Read Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Save yourselves. Now that's a cause. And that's a cause worth living for. And that's a cause worth dying for. We are stewards on the earth. And we will give account for the lives that we have lived. And how we have lived them. And so we agree. We all want to be spiritually minded. And I just said okay. But it's more than just an initial commitment. It's a lifelong journey. So the real question is. If you want to evaluate, if, you, if you're really honest with yourself about this, the real question is, did you take an evaluation, a weight of yourself? Am I more spiritually minded today than I was last year? And where will I be a year from now? And how would I get there? How would I expect to be more spiritually minded a year from now than I am right now? And that's the drama, isn't it? That's the, that's the real pit of despair in all of this. Because on the one hand, life is short and time passes quickly. But at the same time, we forget that. We think we've got all the time in the world and there's nothing really pressing. And so we let things go. We neglect things. We don't manage them. We, we don't get on top of things. So we don't ask questions like that of ourselves. Like, am I more spiritually minded today than I was? Six months ago. Do I read the Bible? Do I, do I pray? Do, do I have a relationship with God? Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Our prayers are for you and the work here and for your growth and for individually, your spirituality, your discipleship. Uh, one thing is for sure, one thing is certain. I don't know what the future holds here on earth. And I don't know occasions to see one another here on earth. But in heaven, it's going to be some kind of reunion. Isn't it?
I mean, when I think about worshiping God, singing praises to God in eternity, that there's a good chance I'm going to be standing next to somebody who did the very same thing 2,000 years ago. You know, if you'd lived during the Middle Ages, if you're 30 years old right now, and you'd lived during the Middle Ages, you'd be dead. Life expectancy was about 30 years. That was it. Various reasons that was the case. Diseases they didn't know about, bacteria they didn't know about, you know, all those kinds of things. That the average lifespan, dark ages, middle ages, 30 years old. Remember the first time I read that? I couldn't believe it. I just, 30 years, you're barely getting out of bed. And you're going to be dying. And we're grateful for all this extra time we get, aren't we? But if we don't do anything with it, what good is it to us? What good is it? We do, we do need to seize the day. We do need to, to live every day to the fullest. And we need to keep things first that are deserve to be first. And, and not let anything change that. Not let the world change that while we're not looking. And that's in part being spiritually minded. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation today, you're not a Christian You understand the call of the gospel. We've hit on that several times uh, this morning. Uh, That's up to you. Your destiny is in your hands. But you have an opportunity to do right and to rise up and say, I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I want to be baptized for mission of sins. As a Christian, uh, the the old reliance always seem to be and you heard teachers say this preachers say this well I've been baptized you say well, are you, are you a, a faithful servant of God I have been baptized um, well that's not really what Paul presses in uh, Colossians what he presses is uh, being risen with Christ that if you were buried with him then you've been raised to walk in newness of life book of Romans so it's, it's not about just baptism. It's about what you're doing with your life and what changes that, that has caused you. So we have a wonderful book in the scriptures. I, we couldn't live without it. We get a taste of what it's like to be adrift and with no guidance and being told lies and everything else and the the fakeness of the the world we've got enough of that don't we we have enough of that so what a wonderful thing it is to be children of god and have god's word and when he says like he does in the prophets when i say it i do it let's be his people we invite you to come as we stand and sing